Good morning, everyone. This is JB with NBW Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado, uh, just uh, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. And we've got a returning guest today, dear friend, great Bible student, and a man who's just a man of God, family man, father, husband, Lucas Doremus. I've uh, been getting some emails from you guys wondering what happened to Lucas and also what happened to Curtis. Uh, by the way, Curtis is going to be on the program here coming up next month. But uh, Lucas is just a uh, Man, he's just one of the smartest guys I know, and uh, I love having him on because he talks about stuff that is relevant to everyday life as well as Bible prophecy. So it's uh, Thursday, January 25th, and I'll bring Lucas on here in just a moment. He's going to be talking about the enticing illusion of quantum computing. And, uh, you know, before you think, wow, that's way above my head, he's got a way of communicating the significance of this and really explaining what it means even to neophytes like me. So I, I appreciate that, or Luddites, I guess I should say. So uh, we'll bring him on just in just a moment. A couple of quick announcements. We've been talking about the upcoming uh, special Prophecy Night Q&A. That's next Tuesday, January the 30th. It'll be held at Plum Creek Chapel, uh, 6 o'clock Mountain Time, uh, but we will be live streaming that, and uh, really looking forward to that. You know, for a while there, we had a regular weekly prophecy night on Tuesday nights. We suspended that because of my travel. Uh, we do hope to maybe kickstart that again sometime later this year when the travel season slows down. But for now, we're going to try to periodically do these sessions uh, when I have an opening on my calendar. And the first one of those will be this coming Tuesday. So mark your calendars. If you're not in the Denver metro area or for some reason you can't attend in person, uh, just know that it will be live streamed. We'll start the live stream uh, at about six o'clock. Um, we, we might have some music first, but uh, you'll see a holding slide there on the live stream letting you know when it's about to start when I when I take the podium. So uh, next Tuesday, January 30th, six o'clock Mountain uh, Prophecy Night Q&A. And then also wanted to mention we've secured our next guest for the premier subscriber Zoom Q&A. Amando Gonzalez has graciously agreed to join us, and that'll be on Thursday night, February the 15th. Uh, that's for premier subscribers only, but it's a chance to interact live with one of our guests and myself and take uh, answer questions, ask questions, and just have a great discussion about all things prophetic. And so uh, if you're not a premier subscriber, it's not too late to sign up for that, and you can join us for that live Q&A. Uh, if you are a premier subscriber, we invite you to join us next, or I mean, February the 15th, Thursday night, 6 o'clock uh, Mountain Time. And uh, by the way, if you're not able to join us and you're a Premier subscriber, remember, remember we always uh, record those and post them on the Premier page. So you have access to that. You can go back and watch it uh, at any time, including recent ones that we've done with guys like Patrick Wood, uh, Randy, Shane. Um, we have Bill Salas on. Uh, so those are all available archived on the Premier subscriber page. All right, our verse for the day, I want us to go to Daniel chapter 12. I I touched on this verse recently in a podcast I did with uh, with Amando, and I thought of it in light of today's topic with Lucas. Uh, Daniel said, or, or Daniel recorded in Daniel 12, the Lord's words, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And in the context there, it's talking about the last half of the tribulation, the time right before the return of the Lord, when things really, really get crazy and the Antichrist kind of wields his ugly power with the false prophet, takes full control of the earth, demands everybody worship him, demands control over the economy, and so forth. So he says, uh, shut up the words of this book until the time of the end. And then he says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Uh, the implication there is that people will be looking everywhere to try to find answers and figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, Knowledge shall increase. And that word increase caught my eye. I looked it up. It's the Hebrew word rabah, and it means become powerful. So the idea is knowledge shall become powerful. It's used quite often in the Old Testament, but one example will kind of paint a good word picture for us for the meaning of rabah. And that's in Genesis chapter 7 in the context of the flood. And it says, now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters in <coughs> increased increase. That's Rabbah. It means they became powerful and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. 
So in the same way that the floodwaters were so powerful, they lifted up the ark high above the earth, knowledge will become quite powerful. And I think we're seeing that today with all of the technological advancements, particularly in the area of AI. Uh, and so it just strikes me that Satan, the closer we get to the culmination of this battle of the ages, this cosmic struggle between Satan and God, closer we get to the end of it, Satan is grasping at anything he can to try to overcome his limitation. His limitation is that he's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not, not omnipresent. He's not God. So he cannot uh, ultimately uh, achieve what he wants, which is complete uh, divinity. So he's going to have to use other means, man-made means, technological means, to try to accomplish that. And it seems like for many of Satan's earthly co-conspirators, the Luciferian elite, they look at quantum computing as this panacea that's going to put them over the threshold of things like gaining immortality and uh, accomplishing, you know, ever-presence and uh, absolute knowledge and those types of things. But uh, as our guest today is going to explain, uh, they are sorely mistaken, the enticing illusion of quantum computing. Lucas, thanks so much for, for joining us. How you been? I've been great, JB. Thanks for having me. And how's the family? Everybody doing well? Oh, doing well and staying warm. Had our furnace go out, so we'll probably be oh. getting a new furnace this year, but eh, we'll be all right. Oh, man, no fun, yeah. no fun. Well, man, if our furnace went out, I don't know if I could handle it. We'd be. I, I, the older I get, the more I hate the cold, but, uh, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, and the more it expensive does, it gets. And the more expensive <laughs> it gets, no doubt about it. Well, so I'm just going to kind of throw it to you. You always do such a great job of explaining uh, complex uh topics. And uh, and so uh, talk to us about quantum computing. What is it? What do they want to do with it? And how might mm -hmm. it fit into God's prophetic plan? So quantum computing, this is, and if the word quantum scares you, because you've got, you know, if, you, if you're kind of a science kind of, you know, I watch a lot of documentaries and listen to a lot of stuff, you know, the quantum physics world versus the um, classical, normal, maybe Newtonian world as an Isaac Newton. Uh, world that we live in, you know, where we have gravity and, you know, height, width and mass, you know, you get down small enough to, you know, the atomic level where you're dealing with the atoms and protons and neutrons and all that stuff, things start to change. Things don't work like they do uh, when we're, you know, big, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So a quantum computer ultimately is using that really small stuff that God created in our universe to do computing, which is to actually completely different than how computers work today. So first of all, with computers today, they run in binary. All that means is it's zeros and ones. And a zero, essentially a zero is false and a one is true. And so any combination of those zeros and ones, that's how you get your computer. So, you know, when you, when you uh, like on your phone, if you want to turn on your location, you know, you're basically, you're tapping a button and it lights up or lights down. But in the background, basically what's happening is there's a little, you know, line of code that says location service on or, you know, something like that. And it's either a zero or a one, essentially is what that is. And so all those combinations, that's what creates our computing today. And so it's just all, it's either zero or one, it's true or false. And that makes a lot of good sense. Now, computing, as we know, it gets more, more and more powerful. There's something out there called Moore's Law. And what he basically stated was computing, quote, power or the size of the chips and things, they double roughly eight, every 18 to 24 months. So essentially every 18 to 24 months, our computers get twice as powerful. And everybody kind of knows this inherently, because if you think about cell phones, you know, when we started with, it wasn't even flip phones, you know, it was before that, you know, and I'm talking not bag phones, but I mean, you know, kind of early 2000s with your phone compared to now the computing power doesn't even match. <laughs> it's just kind of unheard of. So now we're actually entering a problem with common computing with the silicon chips and transistors and all that. We actually are starting to get to a point where we can't get much smaller as so with the computers that are getting so much smaller, what the companies are doing out there like Google and IBM, Microsoft, those kind of places, they're trying to come up with another solution because our computing now, the only way you can get more powerful is to get bigger. 
And so they're coming up with a new idea that is quantum computers. So how is quantum computers different from classical computers? Now, we're going to get a little bit scientific, but I'm going to keep it basic because it gets a little weird and I'm certainly no expert on quantum physics. So we explain the classic computers, they use zeros and ones to store information. It's either a zero or a one. It's either true or false. You can think of it like that. Well, interestingly, at the quantum world, that's not exactly the case. Things can actually be true and false at the same time. Now, before we go on with that, what's really crazy to me is that God created this world that we live in. And if we basically train our microscopes far enough, we get to far enough, we get to a world that kind of doesn't make sense to us. He created all of it and he knows exactly what's going on with all of it. So even if we can't in our minds reconcile what's going on between things we see that are very small and you know planets that are very big, we can still praise God for it. Uh, personally, JB, I'm glad that I don't understand everything that God did, because if I did, then I would think I'm God. <laughs> and that's kind of a problem. So if you he, ever think that, you know, just ask Sarah and she'll yeah. it for you. <laughs> he will tell me very quickly. That's right. <laughs> so some some of the differences between quantum physics and classical or Newtonian physics, again, New, Newton as in Isaac Newton. So the classic experiment is you shoot light through a paper with two slits on it. And light is a wave, kind of like you go to the beach and the waves on the beach. And if we shoot light, you know, through these two slits, it creates this wave pattern. See the same thing if you go to the beach and you put your feet in the water, the waves kind of go around you, you know, and how that works. We all know how that works. Now, interestingly, when we shoot particles through a, the paper with two slits, now particles are a single thing. That'd be like, JB, if I shot you out of a cannon and I tried to hit a target, you would either hit the target or not hit the target because you're one thing. The problem is with these electrons and some of the things we've shot, we actually get the same result as if it's a wave, just like light is or waves on a beach. Well, that implies that these small particles can be in two places at once, which doesn't quite make sense. Now, to make it even weirder, as soon as we look at the experiment and see what's going on, it reverts to only going through one of those slits at a time or, you know. So what's weird is that we as humans, when we look at what happens, we actually change the result. Hmm. And if that That's sounds true. odd, it is very weird, but it's, re it's actually really easy to prove and you can do it in experiments. It's done over and over and over again. And so these atoms, you know, really small, they have the electrons circling them and protons and neutrons. Well, what you can do with these math equations, and again, if you have any physicists out there, I'm not an expert on this, you can know, say, where an electron is, and you can calculate all the possible states of that electron, meaning how much energy level it's going, how fast it's going, the rotation it's going, all those things. You can, the equation you use, you have all these different states. But as soon as you solve it, then it's only in the one place it's at. Okay, mm -hmm. so JB, you're in one place. But with these particles, if you get down small enough, it's like they can be in a lot of places all at once until you decide to look at it or solve it, and then it's only in one place. Huh. Okay, now, it, it, here's another example. If you set a ball on a hill and you let go, we would all say, well, the ball rolls down the hill because of gravity, and it rolls down the hill because, you know, that's where the grass led it, whatever was the least resistance, blah, blah, blah. That's how it went. Well, in the quantum world, what you actually do is you can calculate every single direction that ball could go. You could say the ball could shoot up to the moon and then bounce back. Uh, you could do just wild things. And so you calculate every single possible state. It could be an even absurd things that a ball would never do. But as soon as you the ball will go in the direction of the least amount of energy. It's a totally new way to think of it, but you actually get the exact same result because you calculate all these different ways it can go. Well, it's not likely that a ball all by itself is just going to jump up to the moon and back and then roll down the hill. It's just going to roll down the hill, but that's because it has the least force or the least action, the least energy.
Now, the famous one is Schrodinger's cat. And this is a fun little thought experiment that a guy named Erwin Schrodinger came up with in 1935. Now, back then, this was when Einstein was there and they were kind of starting to discover this quantum stuff. And Einstein was all you can't have, you know, more than one year. You can't be in more than state at one time. Things are either true or false, you know, very logical thinking. And these quantum guys are like, but wait, our math works out. So the idea is there's this cat in a box. And it's got this basically deadly apparatus that's going to poison it. So is the cat alive or dead? Now, common sense would state, well, the cat is either alive or dead. We just don't know. As soon as we open up the box, then we know. But it's not going to be alive and dead at the same time. However, at the quantum level, it would say, well, the cat is alive and dead at the same time. Until you look at it, then it's either alive or dead. Because you don't know. Because you don't know. And that's the way they get that is through these math equations. Hmm. So again, we would think that's totally silly. Well, of course the cat is either alive or dead. And they would go, yeah, but if you do the math, <laughs> you can't know until you look at it. Huh. So wow. it's a very, it's, it's a weird way to think, but it's provable. You can do this stuff and it works. Well, I mean, immediately, I know you've got a lot more to cover here, but immediately my mind goes to the spiritual implications of this, mm -hmm. or, you know, in terms of absolute truth versus, you know, uh, you know, relative truth. Um, I mean, my, it's way too early for, for, I mean, my head's about to explode already, but, <laughs> uh, but quantum physics basically is, is not comfortable with yes, no, it's, it's, yes. it's looking at every conceivable scenario that is that yes. a fair statement. Wow. It, it, it's very fair coming from a lot. And that's why so many people actually don't like it is because those laws of logic break down. But at the same time, we're not dealing with laws of logic. We're dealing with math and energy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, remember, God created it all. Mm -hmm. So God's OK with that. JB, you talk about this. I've learned this a lot from you. You know, the idea of free will. Or the idea of, you know, God being three persons yet one, those to a logical mind don't make sense, yet that's who God is, or that's what he created, or so yeah, he can be sovereign and yet we can have free will. And though those are logically inconsistent, the Bible teaches both. Yep. So this is kind of the same, at least this is how I look at it, is I don't necessarily have a problem with that because there's things in the Bible that, like you just said, seem logically inconsistent. But God seems to be okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not bothered with it. So the implication for all this with quantum computers is that you can calculate many things at once because your zeros and ones, they don't have to be either true or false. They can be true and false at the same time. And see, that can in vastly increase your computer power. And I'll put it, this, this kind of leads into the next. Classical computers, they basically perform calculations sequentially. Now, you can add computers to make them perform multiple things at the same time, but it's still ultimately sequential in how calculations are performed. Quantum computers, they can calculate it all at the same time. Here's the example. So it's the classic, you put a mouse in the maze and try to find the cheese. Now, what a classical computer would do is it would calculate every single path that count that mouse could take one by one and then select the one that gets the mouse to the cheese well if you think about it that's actually kind of slow because you can only do it one at a time what a quantum computer is it can analyze every path the math the mouse could take simultaneously and then choose the correct path that's way faster huh. so what that means from at the quantum level, the theory they're using is like we talked about, things can be seemingly can be in more places at once. The implication is the mouse exists in all possible paths until you look at the mouse or solve the mouse, and then it's only taking the correct path. Hmm. Now, as a side note, if you've heard of the multiverse theory or the parallel universes, this is where that idea comes from. Because you study things at that small level and it can ex exist in a lot of places at once, seemingly. So they say, oh, well, obviously that means there's an infinite number of universes. 
So that's where that idea comes from, if anybody's curious out there. Yeah, so the, it's, if it's true for the smallest components, it must be true for the largest components. Right. And really the 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 biblical view, at least my view on that, is it doesn't ultimately matter because God created you in this universe and you're accountable to him. Mm -hmm. So even if at this small level we can't quite understand what's going on, you're still accountable to the God and where he created you at the time he created you and all that. So more or less it's irrelevant. And and does this have implications for dimensional thinking and the and, and really the concept of God being eternal and man being confined to the time-space continuum? Uh, because I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately in terms of our longing for justice and how mm -hmm. one of the biggest arguments that people make, skeptics make against God is that how could a loving God allow so much suffering and hurt? And, mm -hmm. and it just kind of occurred to me uh, that really God God is responding to inequity and unfairness and injustice. He's just doing it in an eternal now, whereas mm -hmm. we think of it in terms of, well, he's not going to finally get vengeance until the tribulation period after the rapture. We think of it on a timeline. But from God's perspective, he's not unfair. He has no nothing to answer to because he's already judged evil. Everything's already happened. It's the eternal now. And we can't understand that because it's, you know, we live here, uh, just like things can only be in one place at one time. But, you know, God is outside of time. And someday we will, in our humanness, see the culmination of all this. But from God's perspective, he's going, why are you so impatient? I've already done it. You know, mm -hmm. and, and he's, you know, so anyway, I don't know if that's a similar type of tension or if it even relates at all to this whole quantum theory. I think it does, because I think it gives us a, a glimpse of his vastness mm. and that sort of thing. And JB, you remind me of the, what is it, the golden chain in Romans where, you know, we're predestined and foreknowledge. Well, yeah. when he gets to justified he, and then he says glorified, well, glorified is in the past tense. Right. Well, from our perspective, we haven't been glorified but from god's we have right romans 8 um, i think it's 32 those who whom he has justified which we know we've been justified because that happens at the moment of faith so at mm -hmm. a moment in time past if you've trusted in jesus christ and him alone for salvation you've been declared righteous justified but as you said he also follows it up with says you've also already been glorified which is you know when this mortal puts on immortality when we receive our glorified bodies Clearly, that has not happened yet, and yet, from God's perspective, it has. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of the other question. Sometimes I, you know, I, I've come across this. You know, if the universe is expanding, what is it expanding into? You know, which is an interesting kind of philosophical question. But I think when we think about these scientific things, I think God's just, <laughs> in a way, showing off. Uh, can I put it that way, that he's just showing us his glory, that we're never going to match uh, his infiniteness and his knowledge uh, and things like that. You know, and the Bible is actually quite clear about that, how, you know, my thoughts are above your thoughts. You know, there's one example or in Romans 11, you know, oh, the depths and the knowledge of the wisdom of God, his ways are beyond searching out. Uh, very clear that we're not going to know. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. By the way, it was I was wrong. It was Romans eight thirty, not thirty two. But anyway, that's that's the often called the golden chain of salvation because it talks about being called, justified, and glorified. It's all a done deal. Yeah. Yep. So with this quantum computing versus or quantum physics versus quote normal physics, see, I don't see a contradiction because I've got a God who's great enough to satisfy it, even if I can't satisfy it. Mm -hmm. Yet, to get back to the actual computing part of it quantum computers are eventually going to become more powerful because of the things we stated. Now, quantum computers, we haven't quite figured it out yet. They exist. Uh, they have done things, but they're just not practical for a number of reasons. But anyway, this is the problems they're trying to solve with quantum computers really get to the heart of you know, the universe God created for us. Creation gets to the heart of the image of man gets to the heart of trying to remove the curse that happened in Genesis 3 when we disobeyed God. And so I'm going to list them, and 
I'm not going to comment on them because we're going to come right back to commenting on them. So if you're listening to this, it will be kind of strange to hear what I'm going to say on JB's podcast, but we're going to address it here in a sec. So the problems of quantum that quantum computers are trying to solve, well, they would love to use it to solve what is the origin of life. Because quantum computers, they can calculate the proteins and the amino acids and all the things that would be the necessary ingredients for life. And then we would know how life began, and then theoretically we could create it. it would, they would love to solve, say, climate change or global warming. Quant or, uh, quantum computers might be able to calculate how to re best remove CO2 and get rid of that so we can save the environment. Uh, they would love to solve the food supply, quote, problem. If we can build a quantum computer to learn how photosynthesis works, say in a plant, well, then we could figure out a better way to have photosynthesis and more food. Or we could create food out of something in a lab. Doesn't that sound tasty? Uh, we'd like to solve the problem of, quote, world energy. We could create more efficient batteries or fusion reactors or things that don't have nuclear waste. And then all the health problems we have, uh, we could cure cancer by analyzing health daily. Uh, you could literally, and this is an idea, go to the bathroom and a quantum computer analyzes your waste and is able to detect cancer cells or any other number of things. Hmm. They want to get rid of rage, the aging process. If we can figure out why cells deteriorate, well, then we can repair them so we can live a lot longer or forever, possibly. Quantum computers would be better at figuring out vaccines. You could run hundreds of bajillions of thousands of simulations of drugs and avoid trials and testing. You would just know because of this quantum computer. And yeah, you would that, also be that one's that one's irrelevant because, as we all know, <laughs> they don't really care about running tests anymore. They, they just use us <laughs> as the guinea pigs. <laughs> I, I this. Yeah, yeah I, I know it, it. It's hard, isn't it? But then epidemics, we could monitor, say, the smells and the you know the things, and put that data into a quantum computer, and it could automatically tell us when there's about an outbreak that's about to happen. And that sounds really great if uh, God didn't create the world and sin didn't exist, and all that sounds really, really good. Right. But there's some problems with quantum computers solving these things. Uh, first off, the it's still a computer, which means the input is controlled by us, as in we control the parameters to what goes into a computer. Uh, an example is, say, uh, this isn't computer specific, but JB, I know you know about this one. When they have, uh, quote, climate change summits, or they're trying to, say, solve, quote, climate change, what they do, they actually set the parameters of what you're allowed to consider as the problem. And in some of these climate summits, what they actually do is they do not let you consider the sun as a source of temperature change, which to a logical mind is a little bit odd. I mean, where else does warming come from is the sun. <laughs> I mean, a little bit from the earth. And, you know, I get that. But if you're not allowed to consider the sun, I control the parameters. Well, of course, you're going to default to other things in the environment. Right. So, so even if quantum computers could theoretically solve some of these things, we control what it's going to actually calculate. Not only do we control the, the input, we also control the output. Uh, quantum computer access for a long time is probably going to be limited. So there's really no even way to verify what the solution that came out of the computer is. You're going to have to trust the media and who's ever reporting it. And also, we also control the implementation of the solutions of those. And as we know with humans, that often doesn't go very well. Um, you know, take border control. You know, let's put up a wall. Well, what's the problem with putting up the wall? Well, humans are the problem with putting up the wall. People are. Yeah. Um, whether they complain about funding or this, it doesn't matter. The problem isn't that we can't build a wall. It's that the people are implementing the solution and there is none. Yeah, in other words, <laughs> what I'm hearing is that our, our human tainted fingerprints sold under sin are all over the place in the whole process of you know, design, implementation, all, all of that mm -hmm. for 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 this uh, quantum 
you know, computing, right? Absolutely. You started off by reading Daniel and talking about how Satan is uh, trying to use things like technology to overcome his shortcomings. Well, that means quantum computers, even if they could theoretically solve some of these things, well, Satan's kind of in, in charge of implementing them, which right. means he's going to do it for his purposes and what's going on. So it's not the panacea that we think it is. And now we mentioned a bunch of things. Now we get to go comment on them. Yeah, so yeah. with the origin of life, well, honestly, God created it. Mm -hmm. And one of the best arguments I've heard that even if, you know, there's amino acids and proteins and some of those things, even if you could get all of those in the same place to, quote, create life, you have to isolate them all which means you can't have any contamination, which means even if you are able to get those conditions created for, quote, life to start, well, right after the point of life starting, all those things get interjected, and now your life is destroyed by the same probability that you thought was going to create it. Right. So even if a quantum computer can calculate this is what you need, well, you still have to, it still can't happen randomly. Right. Is it basically is my point. Yeah, it, it um, takes the touch of the master's hand. I mean, only God can can speak the world into existence. He didn't do it in a laboratory. He did it by fiat. He just declared it, spoke, God said, and then it was. Yep. And that means we can't explain where the information came from, as in cells reproduce. Well, we can't explain where that information comes from. Same with the consciousness. You know, we can't explain where thought comes from. Well, why? Well, because they're not totally a biological thing. It's because God spoke them and they happened. Mm. And so if you believe that life slowly evolved, you have to explain how new information got into that life to create something different. Well, that's, let's go back to that for a second. That's pretty profound, okay. Lucas, that people, you know, philosophers that are, and scientists that are trying to study the origin of thought and trying to quantify the the mental process, which, you know, that's a big deal right now with the transhumanists and brain-computer interfaces and all mm -hmm. of that. The problem, they'll never be able to do it because they're leaving a huge piece of the puzzle out. They're, they're looking inward and not recognizing that there is an almighty eternal creator who is the only one who is eternal. And, you know, he's, there's a spiritual element to these things that goes beyond the biological. So if you're only trying to solve a puzzle using biology, you know, the brain, the physical brain and the synapses and all this stuff, you know, and, and it's not a biological source, you're never going to find the answer, are you? No, you just aren't. And, you know, John says, you know, all things were made through him and without him was made or sorry, nothing was made that was made. As in everything that God created back then exists as he created it. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have a proliferation of species in terms of like dogs. You know, you have wolves and mutts and pugs and German shepherds and coyotes, all that stuff. It doesn't mean that. It just, you don't have one species from another. And if we just look at it biologically, you don't have information for one species to turn into another. There's no way for a dog to know how to turn into a cat. Mm. There's just no way for that process to happen. Why? Well, because God created it that way. Yeah. And, and before you go on to the next one, mm -hmm. you know, going back to the implementation, you know, the, the, the tainted fingerprints of, of sinful mankind are not only on the implementation, but as you said, you know, they control the parameters so, you know, you, you have to assume pure motives on the part of fallen man in mm -hmm. setting up the experiments to begin with. But as we well know, science long has been uh, bought and paid for and rigged. It's pseudoscience. You know, they like you talked about with uh, global warming and, and the climate summits, you know, all of these big pharma companies and other big companies, even agricultural companies, they pay for science and testing but they essentially off the record uh, or under the table, you know, pay for the results they want to get 
So they can mm-hmm. say that in their reports and say that in their marketing. And it's a sort of a, they predetermine what they want the results to be. So how do we know that even under the best of conditions with all of these quantum experiments, that the people setting the parameters and engaging in the experimentation don't have some type of ulterior motive being fallen human beings. Yeah, exactly. And, and as far as like the origin of life is, con- is concerned, now that doesn't mean they're not going to find some interesting things and able to manipulate life. Doesn't mean they won't be able to do that, which is sort of scary when you think about it because of the motive, but they're not going to figure out how to create it because it's not purely biological. God did it. And with the segue into the global warming climate change, you know, one of the things they're thinking is, oh, we'll find a way to eliminate CO2, carbon dioxide. Well, that is by far not the only factor in what, quote, warms or cools, for that matter, the earth. And if we think about it, just just philosophically, how would you calculate the global temperature of the earth? You know, we have to go, they, they say 100, 150 years roughly is usually the time frame they use. Well, the historical data, we have no way to know if that's reliable. Right. You know, and the margin of error in these calculations is I, I've heard 0.4 degrees Celsius. I've heard 0.3. I've heard 0.5. Usually what they do is say the earth has warmed over the past 100 years by like 0.6 or maybe up to like 1.5. Well, if you go with the low assumption on that 0.6, well, your margin of error is almost exactly the same as what you said is the increase. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's like, well, so it really hasn't increased, even if your data is reliable, which we can't confirm. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, where these scoffers are, are assuming that all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing they do with calculating the age of the earth. They they have a small sample and then they extrapolate that out and they say, oh, the earth mm-hmm. must be billions of years old. Well, we don't know that. I mean, God, when God spoke the world into existence, he created a mature earth. And when you mm-hmm. looked at Adam, he didn't look like he was one second old. He looked like he was yeah. 30 years old. There's a huge difference between one second and 30 years uh, and so you can see how if you just make an assumption that based on a small sample, everything else meets that same uh, pattern, that you could be way, way, way off. Yeah. And so just to calculate, quote, the temperature of the earth, it's filled with assumptions and ways to get these numbers. So even if you could get a quantum computer to say release, you know, get rid of CO2, that's not going to do anything because that's not the only factor. And we don't really ultimately know if the earth is warming up anyway. Now, biblically, oh, oh, global warming is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to happen because yeah. Peter says that everything's going to melt. <laughs> yep. So God yeah, global... destroy the earth by fire and recreate it in sinless perfection. And hallelujah, the Bible comes full circle back to the pre-fall Edenic state. And what a day that'll be. Yep. So yeah, global warming is going to happen, but uh, not like they're saying it as happening right now. Right. <laughs> um, how about the food supply? Uh, they mentioned, you know, we can start to create food or create food in a better way, theoretically, than nature can do it. Um, but I'll just throw out the food supply is not the problem. We grow enough food, uh, but because of contracts and companies and things like that, you can't distribute it properly. Uh, I know of multiple cases where farmers are actually asked to burn their crops because something in their contract doesn't allow them to distribute, sell, harvest, whatever it is. So yeah, the food supply is not the problem. So even if a quantum computer could do something like that, that's not going to solve, quote, world hunger. Right, because world hunger is a factor of mankind, Satan's earthly co co-conspirators and accomplices who have have long been engaged in a depopulation program. They want to depopulate the earth. Uh, It's all, everything, all of these big causes uh, for which governments give billions of dollars and, you know, think tanks exist, all of them are exactly 180 degrees opposite of what they claim to be. When they're trying to, you know, solve world hunger, they're actually trying to starve people. That's, that's the ultimate goal. That, that's what people forget. And I kind of wonder, so with the food grown in a lab, so basically what we're doing is kind of like creating chemical food. I wonder, JB, if you look at Revelation and some of the, you know, the bowls and trumpets and seals that are going to happen, 
I kind of wonder as things start to get where God starts to really destroy things, you know, the, the vegetation starts to get destroyed and the, the sea life is killed, all that kind of stuff. I wonder, I wonder if chemical food grown in a lab, I wonder if that's going to be a real thing. And if that's the way the human race will be sustained toward the end of the tribulation. Oh, I, I absolutely it, think so. It, I mean, it's very, I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. We already have uh, chemical food. I mean, besides like, you know, Doritos and Ruffles, I mean, we, have, <laughs> we have actual chemical, you know, even more pure chemical food. Uh, we already have it. They're already talking about it. So I, th I think Satan and his, you know, his co-conspirators, they understand that God is the God of heaven and earth. He's the God of the sea. He made the sea. He made the plants. He made all of it. And as they read the Bible, they see that someday he's going to, you know, judge all of that. And even though they don't believe the word of God, they think they're going to win in the end. Uh, they are hedging their bets and protecting themselves. And we got to have a plan B in case God, our enemy, they see him as their enemy, does in fact destroy the sea life and the crops. And uh, we have you know, all these judgments of the seals, trumpets, and bowls. So I think absolutely they're, they, they could very well play a key role in that short period of time uh, leading up to the Battle of Armageddon. Mm -hmm. So that could be a real thing that happens, and I think it's a possibility. Uh, moving on, uh, world energy. Now, personally, I'm in favor of these ideas as far as I would love batteries to be more efficient. I would love for solar and wind power to really work uh, or to create. I would love that. Like, I'm not against that at all. Um, the problem with that is that, you know, who really uses the most energy in the world? Um, this, I don't know if most people know this when the president travels, doesn't matter which ones, this isn't a political statement. If he goes on air force one, there are two air force ones. If he takes Marine one, the helicopter, there's, there's three. And usually if there's some kind of automobile envoy, there's usually two or three of those as well. So if we get down to who's using the world energy, it's not me, you know, with my two cars and my one house, that's not the problem. Uh, it's the massive usage by other people. And it should be obvious. I mean, when they take their personal jets to go to climate summits to <laughs> talk about world energy, well, they're using a lot more energy than I do on a daily basis. No doubt. And they, and they have multiple houses. Each one of those houses uses, you know, mm -hmm. power. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a great big head fake to be sure. It's and, and they're all just hypocrites, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as world energy, I would love for the energy sources like solar and wind to be more practical and be able to store. I would love that. I'm not against that at all. It's just the way that's going to be implemented. I don't think it's going to work out because I'm not the one using the most energy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, moving on to the health category. Now, I, I can openly say one of the ideas is that, you know, they're learning more and more about cancer and how it works. And so in trying to detect cancer earlier and trying to heal that, I am all for doing all that advancement that we can. I would love to see cancer cured. The problem with quantum computers supposedly solving the problem is that cancer treatments, there's some out there that are being suppressed. Yeah, we, yeah, and we saw that with COVID. You know, you couldn't get certain COVID treatments because of, of one reason or another. And so even if a quantum computer can help cure cancer, the way it's implemented is going to be wrapped up in the medical uh, monopoly and who knows who's going to have access to it? How are they going to sell it and market it? Yeah. We just don't know. So again, we see, you know, the tainted, dirty hands of evil people, the fallen nature of man involved in the process. And, uh, you know, it, it, we, we've seen that with, with everything else. Yeah, I mean, cancer, well, there's no question. Why, why do you think all of these Luciferian elites live to be 100 years old? You know, like David Rockefeller and, and the like, uh, Brzezinski, um, because they have access to certain treatments that are not generally uh, known. That's been well documented by some great researchers. I've got a few books on my shelf about that, um, mm -hmm. but uh, not to mention the cause of cancer in the first place. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so it's... fun. It's so bizarre how they they create the problem. It's tr classic Hegelian dialectic, and then rush in with the cure. Uh, but it's all for other reasons. It's never about what it's about. In this case, it's about power, control, and money. Mm -hmm. And speaking of aging, uh, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed once for men to die. 
and after that, the judgment. So as much as we think we could repair ourselves to stop the aging process, we're not going to be able to because it's a God-ordained thing. Now, that doesn't mean, like you just said, you can't extend life a little bit through some manipulations and things. But it's going to happen. We're going to die because that's what God said in the garden and throughout the rest of the Bible. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just not going to. Now, they have ideas about how to, like, upload your consciousness, so to speak. You know, the big famous one is William Shatner. Uh, he sat down for hours and hours and told this computer about everything he knows and all his memories. So theoretically, you can go talk to this computer and it's like talking to William Shatner. Well, that's not him. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a computer. And for any, you know, of the uh, transhumanists out there, that's still not you because that's not who God created. <laughs> yeah. It's like Randy talked yesterday about the AI lady that you can pay x amount of dollars for and have a session with her and just talk to her and share your feelings if you're feeling depressed or lonely you can sign up for a session with this ai woman and she's already received dozens of proposals men are wanting to marry her it's not real it's not yeah. real yet it's that that company's making thirty thousand dollars a month just off of that one girl uh, just unbelievable what how people are so deceived into not recognizing reality versus fiction yeah and you know, the great death is the great unknown, those kind of things. But if you have faith in Christ, you know where you're going to end up. Yep. And that doesn't mean I won't be fearful of death someday. I'm not sitting here saying I'm better than everybody else and I don't have any fears. I'm not saying that, but I do know where I'm going to end up. Amen. And that kind of security actually helps me deal with things like aging and health and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and this would be a good opportunity to remind people that that First John 5 tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. We don't have to wait until we die. We can know right now, 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life, those who believe in the name of the Son of God. So if you're listening to this and you are uncertain uh, whether you'll go to heaven or hell, you don't have to be. You can absolutely take as a present possession the free gift of eternal life now, guaranteed, sealed until the day of redemption, name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, absolutely secure, and you can live out your days on this earth having eternal life. You don't get eternal life when you die. You get eternal life when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for your sins. And I hope uh, that you've done that today. Yeah. And I will say, knowing that, JB, since I learned it many years ago, it doesn't mean I don't take care of myself because the Bible's pretty clear that if you're foolish, you'll die early kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it gives us that security at the end of the day that, well, if it happens, you know where you're going to end up. You don't have to fear it. Yep. For, for the believer, death is the golden key that unlocks the riches of eternity. Uh, the Bible says death is precious in the sight of the Lord for his saints because they're just coming to meet him face to face. Yep. My kids, <laughs> you know, they're, they're 10 and almost eight. Uh, they'll say things like, well, you know, dad, if we die, we just get to be with Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> you're right, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I hope they never lose that childlike, <laughs> simple faith, you know? I know. It, it is so, and they're so good at it. Okay. Next one, which we'll <laughs> try to keep brief. Uh, vaccines. Yeah. We can, you know, these quantum computers can, you know, because they can calculate so much faster, they can calculate the different, say, compositions of things and amounts of different, you know, chemicals or whatever they put in it to try to get these different vaccines. Um, in theory, yeah, I mean, I don't want people to be sick either, but can you really put in a computer the plethora of people's body variations to exclude tests and trials on drugs and things like that? Mm. I just, it, it, to me, it's not possible. I don't care how powerful your computer is. We're all different. Yeah. And when you get to make the choice for me about my health, I remember Sarah, and I don't think she came up with it, but it was kind of this, well, I'm not an expert doctor, an expert on health, but I am an expert on myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. You know, Nobody knows me like I know me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so even though I may not be the smartest person about health, I do know me and I can make my own choices. Wow. Um, and, you know, that freedom is great. <laughs> the alternative to that freedom, though, is we have to also let people make bad decisions. That's part of freedom and free will that God gave us is we have to allow people to make bad decisions. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, uh, I'm, I'm working on my messages for the Orlando Prophecy Summit. 
And I found yet another disturbing clip from Yuval Noah Harari. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only 90 seconds, but it's from a TED Talk where he talks about how humans have no rights. And I think this plays into what we're talking about here. So if you don't mind, let me just play this uh, clip. It should come through just fine. Oh, uh, sure. So here, this is Yuval Noah Harari talking about how humans have no rights. Many, maybe most legal systems are based on this idea, this belief in human rights. But human rights are just like heaven and like God. It's just a fictional story that we've invented and spread around. It may be a very nice story. It may be a very attractive story. We want to believe it, but it's just a story. It's not a reality. It is not a biological reality. Just as jellyfish and woodpeckers and ostriches have no rights, homo sapiens have no rights also. Take a human, cut him open, look inside, you find their blood and you find the heart and lungs and kidneys, but you don't find there any rights. The only place you find rights is in the fictional stories that humans have invented and spread around. And the same thing is also true in the political field. States and nations are also like human rights and like God and like heaven. They too are, are, are just stories. A mountain is a reality. You can see it, you can touch it, and even smell it. But Israel or the United States, they are just stories, very powerful stories, stories we might want to believe very much, but still they are just stories. You can't really see the United States. You cannot touch it. You cannot smell it. Wow. I mean, Lucas, I mean, can you imagine? And this is what they they think, these Luciferian elites. This is what they want to do. They want to completely destroy humanity made in the image of God and, you know, equate us to ostriches and, I mean, uh, unreal. And, and there's no national sovereignty, no national states. I mean, it's coming, folks. This is the setup for Satan's final uh, push, his his two-minute drive here, uh, which, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys year after year, will fall short. He's not going to win, but uh, but he uh, he's sure pushing it. Your thoughts on that clip? Well, yeah, so much could be said, but we know from Romans 1 that uh, Harari does know there's a God. Mm-hmm. Yep. He knows that. And so at the end of the day, as much as he wants to believe what he's saying is true, he knows death is coming. Mm. And one day he'll know whether he's right or not. Absolutely. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, wisdom is proved out by all his children. Jesus said that. And so even if it's not apparent right now, one day Harari will know whether he's right or wrong. Mm. Right. And we, you know what, we want him to be saved and sure. believe in Jesus just as much as anybody else. But yeah, what a, what, what an evil thing to want to get rid of all the human, you know, my, my, my idea of freedom or you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. He just you know, thinks we're all a bunch of, um, uh, redundant lab rats. Uh, he says we need to get rid of the vast majority of this. I cite him. I have a whole chapter on him in my new book, yeah. Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy. But uh, that was a new clip that uh, I just came to my mind as you were talking about our free will. Yeah. And speaking about freedom and all that, you know, one thing that they want to do again to get back to quantum computers they would think they can uh, know when an epidemic is going to start, you mm. know, something you can analyze. And, and this is a real thing. I mean, you can analyze smells and, you know, some different things in an environment to know if there's certain allergens and things like that. And so a quantum computer would be able to analyze this in an area, you know, quote, know that an epidemic is going to happen and then we could take action. Well, what criteria actually equals an epidemic? <laughs> or if you have a computer projecting an epidemic that's even a little bit more dangerous because now it hasn't even happened then you're just saying it's might so what's happening right now i think it's sometime this summer the who is actually starting to declare what will be a rule for an epidemic and how their involvement is going to be we don't know what they're going to do yet mm. and so you know when they can when a transnational body can swoop in say our computer models say that you're going to have an epidemic so here's what you're going to do that's kind of a scary thought oh yeah you know 
you know, of what can happen in a situation like that. It's like so pre-crime predictive, you know, crime. We're going to arrest you because we think you might commit a crime. You know. Yeah. And so those sorts of things. So uh, that's that's what I had for quantum computers. So it's coming. Uh, they exist. Uh, they're not really in a usable state right now, but it's coming. You know, there's projections anywhere from a decade or two out a 100 years of when we're going to have these things. Actually, it's silly to try to make a prediction, especially about the future. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I can predict the past very well. You're yeah. right. right. So it's something to be aware of as far as computing power, what they're trying to do with it, how we can imagine they're going to implement it. Um, you know, I don't like to go into scare tactics, so I'm not trying to scare anybody with what's going to happen or how they're going to use it, but it's something good to be aware of. Yeah. Um, if we Christians want to know about prophecy and how, you know, your whole book on the false prophet, how he's going to use technology, this is something that just, yeah, you don't have to be an expert in it, but it's something to be aware of that they're trying to do things with computing power and solve these things and we need to be aware of how they're going to implement it. Yeah, I just want to know if uh, quantum computing, when they're analyzing the vaccines, if they'll be able to determine how much graphene is in them. That 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 would be a big help these days. But uh, only if you put the parameters in to analyze yeah, that's the graphene. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you control the parameters, you control the results. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, going back to the vaccines again, every you know, every human body is different. You know, like Sarah said, I know my body. I'm not an expert in, in vaccines, but I'm an expert in my body. And there's no possible way they could know all of the variables. I mean, of every single human being. Like, you know, for example, which ones have alien implants? I mean, that would be a big help too, when you're when you're uh, when you're creating a, a vaccine. Well, Lucas, this has been amazing. I tell you, I feel like I've been to school today and learned uh, so much. And yet how how relevant it is to the word of God and how it really speaks directly to the big picture struggle between Satan and and his evil celestial beings, along with his evil earthly human co-conspirators, are desperately fighting against God, and you know they they want uh, to do what what God, you know, did easily with the, the mm -hmm. word, and and yet they're struggling to do that, and they're they're making inroads to be sure. Uh, Daniel talks about that. Knowledge will increase; it will get more powerful. Um, but they, it's ultimately a dead-end street. This is the enticing illusion of quantum computing. I do think it has implications, as we've talked about, for some of the bizarre signs and wonders that we do see in the end times. Um, you know, there's a spiritual aspect to it. But the ultimate goal, and you read off several of them, about that, that they hope it will solve in terms of the origin of life and creating life and prolonging life and all of that, never going to happen. Uh, and uh, so this is a, a great comfort uh, to folks. To me, this whole subject, along with AI that I, I write about in the new book, um, and there's a lot of correlation between AI and, and uh, quantum mm -hmm. computing, of course, uh, all of it is just one more huge sign of the times that we are getting ever closer to the finish line, that, 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 that all of the frontiers that Satan could possibly attempt to conquer, gender, life, origin of life, all of these things, you know, once he's reached them, it's God's just going to say enough's enough. And, and he's mm -hmm. going to remind Satan, just like he's going to remind Satan's uh, uh, henchmen, like uh, you've all know Harari, uh, who's in charge. And I hope, as you said, that, you know, if somehow this message or the content and, and thoughts expressed in this message uh, filter up somehow to a lot of these elites. I hope they understand that they're a sinner who needs a savior and that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the same grace that saved me as a young six-year-old boy can save even the likes of a Klaus Schwab and a Yuval Noah Harari if they'll simp simply trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Um, so, you know, that the gospel message is, is universal, and uh, but so is uh, so is this ultimate battle. Uh, it's been raging since Satan got kicked out of heaven. So excellent stuff. Any closing, any closing thoughts for our audience? Well, you kind of breached it when you, you know, kind of said, I, I said this before we got on the air that there's some tower of Babel overtones here. You know, when God came down and looked at the tower of Babel, you know, he said, nothing will be impossible for them. Mm -hmm. Now that was dealing with language and what they're doing, but you know, this quantum computer, the idea of, 
you know, trying to control basically everything about creation, it's got that overtone that we are trying to get so far away from God that I don't know what's going to happen. You know, is God going to come down and do something? Maybe the tribulation is that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. You know, again, I'm not big on scare tactics, but it's got those overtones to it. And we'll just see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting, too, because if you know the Lord and you know his word, these are not uh, news items to be fearful of, but rather to be excited about. Because when things are falling apart from a human's perspective, it just means they're coming together uh, from yeah. God's perspective. And so, man, this is I'm excited. You know, like your kids, you know, I'm you know, I just I know I'm going to meet the Lord someday. And and there's a very real possibility that that might be in the air instead of when I go mm -hmm. the way of all flesh. I mean, that, that could really happen. And so praise God for that. And, uh, you know, to keep trusting the Lord, we talked about that yesterday. Uh, and, uh, or I, I think it was yesterday, my podcasts get run together, but you know, the whole concept of keeping your, your eyes fixed on the Lord, uh, keep trusting him, uh, brothers and sisters. And, uh, and Lucas, again, just Thanks for your time. Say hello to your family. Uh, folks, you can uh, check out notbyworks.org. Uh, all kinds of free materials there, videos, podcasts, uh, documents. Uh, and uh, if we can ever help with anything, certainly reach out to us. But until then, uh, tomorrow, we've got, uh, we close out the week with Brad Maston talking about Christians and the things of the world. And that's going to be a great uh, podcast. In fact, uh, yeah, you definitely want to tune in for that. Uh, Brad and Lucas are kind of cut from the same mold, two men of God who are absolutely brilliant uh, at studying the Word of God, connecting the dots, correctly handling the Word of God, and, uh, and, and you don't want to miss Brad tomorrow. So God bless everyone. Thank you again, Lucas, and uh, we will see everyone next time.